welcome once again into the Soccer OG. Hey, that's me, Max Bretos. This is episode 63. As always, a reminder to please share, rate, review. Please leave a review. They have been fantastic and it really helps us spread the gospel. Also tell a friend and of course download. If I didn't say that already, do it again. This is a very special, and I mean that. You know that. This is the World Cup draw, for crying out loud. The World Cup draw just took place, and we are breaking it down the best way I know how. A conversation that probably would have lasted eight or nine hours if I didn't stop it when I did. Christopher Sullivan, my former broadcast partner at Fox, who now works covering this World Cup with BN Sports in Doha, Qatar, so he'll talk about the country, we'll talk about the groups, we'll go back memory lane because this is what's so great about the World Cup. There's so much meat on this bone, endless for your dining pleasure. We'll talk about the USA, we'll talk about Canada, we'll talk about Mexico. Also check out the 110 Football and also under my Soccer OG YouTube, which is Max Bretos, our live streaming show at the draw. Lots of fun. Lots of great guests. It's up there right now. Go to 110 Football or go to the Soccer OG under my name, Max Bretos, to check it out. Check out all the videos. We'll also talk a little bit about the U.S. men's national team and how they get ready after a hot and cold final run of qualifying there in CONCACAF. It's a big show. Let's go. We are back. I'm not going to have stoppage time this week because uh, we have a real rip-roaring conversation with Sully, Christopher Sullivan. One thing you're going to notice about him, this guy drops names like no one's business. Uh, I talk to him about it all the time. And the fact it's real. This guy's been everywhere and he is befriended. He used to tell me about Roberto Baggio. I go, okay, Roberto Baggio. He goes, no, seriously. Lo and behold, I get to meet Roberto Baggio and he's singing the absolute wonderful uh, story about Sully and how great he is. So I, I love it. Uh, the guy has lived an incredible football life, former U.S. international. He has also traveled the world. Uh, it's some of the places that, are, you know, that you may not know a lot about, like Hungary, you know, and like Turkey, these places where he has uh, continued his professional career and now a great coach. He's a good friend of mine, and uh, I just love talking with him. So I hope you enjoy that. We will cover a lot of ground. And I know no stoppage time, but I wanted to do a stoppage time on the U.S. teams qualifying. But now that the World Cup draw has been announced, I felt it was kind of going backwards. It's a topic that, as I said at the time, you know, we're going to be critical of the U.S. But I said when the World Cup draw rolls around and the U.S., which we now know will kick off against, well, we don't know. It's going to be either Scotland, Wales, or Ukraine. I think it's going to be the Welsh. The Welsh are the best three of those those teams. A team the U.S. I think can beat and should beat. But the time that rolls around, we won't we won't remember how they qualified. I'm even at the draw, and people are already kind of forgetting. You know, the same people on Twitter that said "what a shambles" are now going, "We're going to win the group. We're going to beat England." I go, "No, we're not." I think that's something I want to just preface this. Uh, the U.S. could get a result like England, like they did back in uh, 2010 but this is a much better England team and what we talked about Sully Christopher Sullivan call him Sully is this England team is so different in so many ways and part of it's a, a humble aspect and, and a togetherness and when we saw the missed penalties with Sacco and Rashford and by the way this England team I think they're going to look very different than the Euros team there's a potential for a whole new reset and they're that talented because they've done so well with their youth programs. That this is a, if you take the, the three lines off the front, uh, you'd say this is a cool dude. I could support these guys, but we can't because they're England. But it's a different England. So uh, they are a different level of the U.S. But the U.S., it's all about finishing second, which I'll talk about here in a moment. Now, as for the qualifying. I, here at the draw, we almost forgot what happened. But we do remember. And yeah, it's okay to feel a bit cruddy. And check out my soccer OG on YouTube under Max Bretos, I have a whole video about the final bit of qualifying. And there's a lot of homework to do. There are concerns for this team that they have to be resolved, at least in some way, shape, or form. Small, even. 
before we get to the World Cup. Finding a number nine. Finding someone who can score goals in that position. Getting the optimum out of Christian Pulisic, because I don't think they've scratched the surface on that. Finding a goalkeeper that's playing, because we're going to have our top two goalkeepers in all likelihood are going to see very little competition between now and the World Cup. And Zach Steffen, the backup at Manchester City, and Matt Turner, the backup now at Arsenal. They are going to hold the clipboard. And many will say, well, why don't they get a loan? Well, this is, first of all, if you're Zach Steffen, if you're Matt Turner, you get noticed that Manchester City or Arsenal are going to bring you in. You want to be the starter, but you're happy, you're content being the backer because you're at this club, because you're going to get better as a player and your whole life you've dreamt about going to a club like that. Maybe you didn't even dream that because the dream felt so big, especially for a guy like Matt Turner. Manchester City and Arsenal are getting these guys because they want competent backups in case good clubs, elite clubs have good backups. And we've seen it so many times in the past. What was it? Carius there at Liverpool, but they didn't have the right guy. You've got to have a good backup because you never know. Goalkeeper at a a moment's notice. That's what they're there for. And they'll be happy to do that. So they're not going to go on loan. Otherwise, Manchester City and Arsenal would have gone a different direction and found a guy, you're content here. You're our backup goalkeeper. But that's a problem. And I think we saw with Zach Steffen, not to pick on him, but he was the story out of that Costa Rica game. A game that both of those goals should have been prevented, at least one of them. Both fall on Zach Steffen, and he looked a little shaky in the game prior to that when he did face some chances against Panama. We've got to find a goalkeeper. Because we're going to be under a lot of shots against England, not Iran, possibly Wales or Ukraine or Scotland. Maybe out of those three, maybe Wales, but not a lot. The England game, yeah. Need to resolve that. The World Cup obviously being in November allows Weston McKinney to get better. There is some work to be done. Central defense, I'm happy. Fullback, somebody else needs to come up. We have Dest, we have Anthony Robinson. Need some cover on both sides because we saw what happened in those final qualifiers. Depth at midfield's good. You got to get Luca Della Torre more games. Uh, you know, Kellen Acosta kind of filling in for Adams, McKinney, or Musa. Musa was disappointing in that Costa Rica game. I didn't see the technical quality I want to see. So I don't think he's a locked step, even though he's been really good. And his position's up for grabs too. And Luca Della Torre, fantastic, but. He played home games against Honduras and Panama. Smaller time playing against Costa Rica did not look like the same player. I got to see him on both sides. I'd love to see him go to a bigger club, but I think he's going for a long-term deal now with Heracles in uh, the Netherlands. The wingers are good. Some people say maybe you go through a little change in the formation, but the wingers are fine. But that number nine, someone has to come up. And there are options. We know Ricardo Pepe, he's still in diapers. Jordan Pifak doesn't look like a right fit, which is something we've said here. Uh, Jesus Fededa, a possibility. Daryl DK, Josh Sargent, there's options there that certainly could come into view. And that's what's such relief because you now you can see how it goes up. The Nations League draw is coming out. The U.S. is going to, this Argentina friendly, they'll, they're going to have to find some games against teams to you know, imitate what they're going to face there. Uh, Iran's a team that's going to give you possession, kind of like what they've seen in in CONCACAF qualifying, but a much better level in many ways. And they that that's not that's difficult for the U.S. They have to wait. You can watch tape on Scotland and and Ukraine and Wales, but you're not going to know exactly who until June. That's still a ways away. And then again, you have a plenty of time. So maybe just leave that let sleeping dogs lie there. The U.S. got to the World Cup, and that was the good part. And you don't want to have a you want to have a results-driven competition. They've been given a good draw. Even in Group B, you're connected to Group A, so Group A doesn't have a, a, a pot one team there. Qatar was the pot one team. They're not a pot one team. You guess you could call Netherlands, but Netherlands not pot one. Didn't qualify for the last World Cup, having some issues in the striker in certain other spots. That is a a tier below England and France and Spain and Belgium. Ecuador is ranked in the 40s. Senegal is a very dangerous team, but what can we expect from the African nations? Maybe this is the World Cup, but we've been waiting. 
I do think Senegal is going to be a surprise team and could win that group, which could see, I think, the U.S. focus on finishing second in Group B. Maybe you finish first, but the prize for finishing second in Group B could be the, a similar outcome to if you win the group because there's not separating much in Group A, right? We'll have seven months to talk about, but the U.S. are in it and now begins the process for 2026. You can only imagine if they didn't make this World Cup and they could have been a point away from doing that in qualifying. The horrific stretch for this sport that we are facing and it would have, it would have possibly decimated this sport. I can't. I didn't even want to think about it, but it would have been massive to sit there and watch another World Cup draw without the United States. And granted, look, if we didn't finish third, we could have we'd have gone to the playoff. So there's still hope, but we don't want to think about that. We're in four Concacaf teams. I, I like I like all the the draws for Concacaf. USA and Mexico should be favored to make the round of 16. We'll give you more data on that. Canada has a tough group. But I don't think they're going to be afraid of anybody. And then you have Costa Rica, which potentially could fall in a group with Spain, Germany, and Japan. That's not going to be pretty. But having four teams is a win. If you get two teams in the round of 16, you're winning. The Soccer OG Podcast. We're going to be joined now by Christopher Sullivan. We're going to talk all things World Cup. USA, Canada, Mexico. This is the good stuff. This is the funnest part of being a soccer fan. It starts right now. The most exciting day to talk the beautiful game, football, soccer, whatever you call it, even more so than the World Cup, because now you begin to project for seven months about these games, dozens of games that we will be seeing, and so many that will stand the test of time. And for for helping me to get through all of this, none other than my former broadcast partner who has worked with a BN covering the World Cup in Qatar. I'm going to ask him about that. Christopher Sullivan. How excited, Suli, how excited are you? My man, I miss you saying Suli. Suli. <laughs> uh, yeah, very exciting, a great day, amazing, great to be on with you as always. You know, I, I'm a big supporter of you. Still feel you're, you're one of, if not the best broadcaster in the country and you make going, the game Suli. fun and you love the beautiful game. And uh, great to be with you back in, back with the maestro. And, and and exciting times a lot this is where it gets fun we got this is like we would now. we would we would work together we talk about the world cup and then you would look at the mm-hmm. well, you'd look at your watch suli and it would be we've been talking for two hours and we haven't even got out of group c right it is endless <laughs> endless yeah. converses, conversations because you could take it anyway rivalries history geography uh geopolitics it's just yes. it's, it's unlike anything and it's yeah, become, and I think coaching, coaching, coaching direction, players. style of play is so intri- intriguing as well. Players, current form is another thing as well. And then uh, the environment, when you think of what travel, you know, we watch teams just in the United States that go West Coast to East Coast and they underperform because of the travel in any sport. And then, you know, I've, I've made the flight to Doha um, several times and it's across multiple time zones. And I think there was a great, I saw on social media, Ali Dai was uh sleeping and Cafu and he, and he was at the draw, yeah. like, you saw that right they took a picture of him and it's not easy to stay awake there when you've done that travel it takes about 10 days to get used to it so preparation is of utmost importance as well think 2014 when Jurgen Klinsmann went over to to check out the lay of the land in Brazil and you know I, I was there as well and you see 58 days I was there it's a big country Qatar, the great thing is that it's a very close in proximity, all the stadiums. It's going to be unique. Should be really fun. I told my wife I was going to do a lay of the land in Brazil once. It was five years before the World Cup, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and you managed to see Yvette de Gallo and Sao Paulo and Carnival. And then you went to Salvador de Bahia to watch Margaret Menez. <laughs> Christopher Sullivan is a huge fan of Brazilian music, and I went to Carnival in Salvador in the north, which is the original Carnival, and I told him what I saw, and then he listens to it, and he says he plays it for his players. He coaches uh, uh, they love these it. academy youth players, and they love it, yeah. right? Absolutely. They love it. You know, after the game, you'll get a text from the kids. They're like, hey, coach, can you shoot me over that song again? And now it's through the whole club. The 100 kids that I coach, they all have it. <laughs> 
Hey, what is Qatar like? I mean, what, how could you describe Qatar for someone who's been there a few times? Well, uh, many people compare it to Dubai in a sense. They say Dubai is uh, very unique and a place, a destination that's uh, very clean and, and uh, uh, meticulous as far as the attention to detail and everything that they present. Um, now, granted, when I went the two times, once was the Confederations Cup the year before the World Cup that was being held in Japan. And I was out there with Roy Hodgson, uh, among others. And then the, the following year, I was in Qatar for the World Cup 2018. So we were doing it out of Bean Sports Studio in Doha. And it's 120 degrees, 125 degrees. So I'm with Christian Vieri or they had Rude Hulet there. Some were over in Russia and some were 125 in 125 degrees. Are you, yes. are you right now? No, 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 no. I'm, I'm talking about June, July okay. in that period. It's I, that I, warm. I, that, that's a hot. That's hot. Yeah. And it's like, you know, those tents that you come out of, they have those real thick blankets and you're coming out of a five-star hotel and you got to make a 10-yard dash to the car that picks you up and brings you into the studio because Before it was so sweating. warm. Yeah. And the second time I was there, I went out much more. Gilberto Silva and I, we, we hung out a lot and went, you know, we'd go walking around. You know, you do it at night when it cools down. But in November, actually, Doha will be cooler temperatures overall during the World Cup than Russia was in the summer. Oh, that's interesting. So, I mean, it's going to be pleasant. Yeah. It'll be in the 70s, you know, 70s, maybe 80s. And we got our first look at Qatar at this draw, and everything is organized and majestic and big. Yes. And, uh, there's this quietness, which is you may have to get a little used to, but uh, look, I, I'm here to learn. I'm here to learn. You know, this has been a host nation that has drawn a lot of backlash. Um, I, I want to know as much as possible. Uh, if this was a, a bid that was less than on the up and up, then there should be punishments. But we got the World Cup now. and I, I, Far be it for me to be critical of, of it without knowing this. I'd like to learn more, and I have read a lot. But it's here, and... This is a time to see, look, the Middle East deserves a World Cup. Qatar gets Absolutely. it. The Qatar gets it. And now, you know, I know they're, they're going to do an incredible show, but it's going to, we're, we're going to think about um, the, the labor issues, the human rights issues, whatever they are. We're going to pop into a game, but by and large, we're going to be watching soccer games. However that makes us look or, um, or even feel, uh, I'm I, I'm ready to deal with it because if something was going to happen, the powers that be should have done it. Or if some players had issues, they should have stepped away or federations should have stepped away. But we're here. I'm a fan. I'm watching football. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, the humility when you see the Sheik bin Hamid and he came up after G, uh, Gianni Infantino, he's so humble. And right away he said, you know, I was telling uh, the president right here, they don't want to hear us. They want to do the draw. And I mean, you've never heard that of anyone. The guy is is very, you know, understated and just everything they've done with Aspire. And as you know, Bora Militinovich, who's <clears throat> one of the iconic uh, coaches that we've had in the United States and also in Mexico and this side of the continent, he's been there for many years. And when I was over there doing uh, the World Cup, or I think it was Confederations, Bora came over to the house of one of the the co-commentators, you know, or one of the chefs. And, you know, he's right-hand guy with, with the main people there of uh, the Qatari sport. So obviously they, I was hoping that we actually didn't get Qatar because I said Bora would give the reconnaissance on every detail, every blade of grass that any Freaking player Bora. has ever played on in the U.S. Yeah, especially Bora. So I, you know, getting to the draw, I think it was, a, I don't want to say a favorable draw, but I, I think that if you were going to be in a group, you'd have to be pleased to say, hey, this is something that's manageable. There's a there's light through the tunnel. You know, there's a path. You never want to overlook any opponent. You know, I, I hear people talking about, oh, this is going to be easy. And th these two teams, you never really know. It's about the form of the day. It's about the way that uh, teams and coaches and, and uh, the chemistry of the teams, how they adapt in these different, you know, off I would say off the continent type of uh, areas. And you got to, you really got to go back for a reference point to Korea, Japan, yes. 2002, you know, and that, that bodes well for Brazil in a sense, because that's the last time they won in 2002. And we so much to talk about Max. I mean, one of the first things is the phenomenon that I've always found this fascinating that the teams that won the world cup, the reigning champions four of the last five years have gone out in the first round. Right. And let's, you think about France, 1998. They went out in the first round. I lost to Senegal and, in that opener. One of the, one of the most exactly, memorable games I've ever seen. Exactly. And they play again. And that was Amy Jacquet 
Pacheco was the coach then. And then Argentina went out. They, they weren't the winners, but Argentina, you could have gone to any corner in Buenos Aires and gotten five national teams that could have competed in a World Cup. That's how deep Argentina was running with just creative midfielders. You can go through the names. You were covering back then in that time as well, uh, South American leagues. So you'll be familiar. They went out as well. Then in 2002, Brazil in 2006, it was like Rocky Three. They have 45,000 people watching them train in Switzerland, you know, before. They, and they were the only team that still got through. Remember, they had Ghana in their group, but all the other ones, Spain, the winners of 2010, they go out in Brazil. Germany, unbelievable. It, it, you know, I was there in Maracanã when they beat Argentina and uh, 2014. Then they just disaster in 2018. Yeah. And it was the same thing. I think the winners of 2006, Italy under Marcelo Lippi. Which was an amazing story, and then out and then in they 2010, went out and they haven't qualified since. Out early, right. so maybe you're telling me then, Suli, you shouldn't win the World Cup. The last thing, you want to do is yeah, actually well, win because it, it's, it's going to destroy your program, right? So then, well, just the first discussion off the top. Let's just take the winners, France. You know, from the top. The, I don't the think anyone's. Fruit. I don't think anyone's touching them. We did some a prediction yes. show on this 110. Everyone's like, "Who's you going to go? Brazil." Some said, I yeah. said Spain. I'm going to change it. Some said Argentina. Some said uh, right. Portugal. No one said France. Yeah. I was surprised. Yeah. No, no, no. I think France again will be. I picked France in the last in the last World Cup, you know, fortunately. and But I picked them the World Cup before that, you know, in 14. I always well. pick Brazil they, they, and I fall on my face. I can't yeah. pick them again. Yeah, but this might be a good time to pick them. But France, the last, you know, France is so deep with with the with the the, the players that they're producing. Why? Because they have players of Algerian descent, Moroccan descent from Guadeloupe, from all the other countries, you know, Ghana, when you think of Marcel Desailly, I was looking at him the other day, he's living there a lot. So they, they have the benefits, like we have players from Italy, we have players from Mexico, we have players from Nigeria originally, and France has that melting pot and then plus the culture as well. So I don't think France is going to be a disappointment, mainly for the coach. I think Deschamps is a winner. And, and remember, he was been there a long time. Yeah, they thought he was putting the brakes on, you know, because he played conservative in, in the last World Cup in Russia. But France, Deschamps has played under the best coaches in the world. He's won a World Cup. He started with Jacques Santini and Nantes. He's played for Marcelo Lippi. You can go on and on with the coaches that he's played for, right? In Marseille, in Bordeaux, in Nantes, Juventus, all the biggest teams, and he's won pretty much everywhere. So he's done it as a player. And he was the guy, he was kind of the Jesse Marsh, uh, if you will, of the French team, you know, he had Zidane next to him. He had all Thierry Henry, you know, he had every star player around him, but he was doing the role of Alan Jerez, not as elegant as Jerez, but he was that uh, kind of, and he's Jerez. a winner. Huh? Yeah, he's I, a winner. We were talking about Alan Jerez and I'm going to give you my thoughts yeah. about this. I'm going to spin it towards the next group. Uh, yeah. But I was talking to some Canadians and you mentioned France being a melting, melting pot and Canada is a melting pot. So maybe they can follow yes. what France is doing with all these country players from different countries and cultures coming together under one flag. It's beautiful to see. And they asked me, yeah. how did Canada yeah. do in 1986? And I said, that was the first world cup I saw. I actually was in Mexico for a little bit. My family was there. My father was doing a book and I remember the euphoria. So we, the games were being watched and yeah. USA wasn't in it. So I kind of pulled for Canada, but I remember watching the France Canada game, which Canada yeah. was right in there. And held very right. tight. Right, Platini that, was injured. Yeah. It was Platini, it was Tigana, yeah. it was Alain Giresse, Giresse it was Fernandez. Yeah. Man, but that's just, and it made me hit. I go, that team is good enough to win a World Cup, and they were nowhere to be seen in 84. I mean, or in, in 86. So. Um, You're saying which team, France or? France. Uh, I mean, that that France team didn't yeah. make oh, but, it deep but like one of teams. my favorite. One it, of my It could have won the World time. Cup that year. With yeah, the, with of the course. Talent. Platini, Platini was player of the year, you know, like European player of the year. And Rumenega was there with Germany and Maradona was just coming. Uh, he was going to Napoli after there at, at that point. But the French Platini was playing injured. That's why on his 33rd birthday, he missed the penalty, you know, during the game. Uh, oh, it was either during the game or Zico missed during the game. Zico scored after and penalties. Platini missed during the penalty shootout and Fernandez scored the final one. But that game, if you go to Brazil, France, 86, you could watch that a hundred times. It's such a fun a, match to watch. I mean, the two of the best too. styles. Yeah. And, you know, we always talk about that. That's going to be a fun thing too, as well. When you say what games that you just never forget, like, Oh, wow, this is an instant classic. Well, but um, in, in any case with, uh, 
Mbappe is at BN Sport in 2018. They had a little, uh, what do you call it, Pisada, you know, a little, little chalkboard or something. Yeah. And we were on, Tactics. on camera. Yeah. And Jason McAteer had all these players and they were kind of like quadrants on there. And I say, this guy needs to go here. He goes, really? Already? Mbappe. And I say, yeah. And he goes, he's already up here. And I say, yeah, I think he's going to be very soon the best player in the world. You know, now we're here at 2022. And I think unequivocally, everyone agrees that he's the next big star in world football. And um, he, he's got his head on his shoulders. He's supported well. I mean, Benzema's back. I think Deshaun know how, knows how to put a good team together. I would love to see Zidane take over the French national team in the next version or take over Paris Saint-Germain and do something because I think, you know, I just think so much of Zidane as well. well this is the problem with doing a World Cup show with you, Suli, is that we're 15 yeah. minutes in and we haven't talked about <laughs> the U.S., but we've talked about Alain Gires and Jason McAteer. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but I want to. So let's talk about the U.S. Let's it, talk about because, the U.S., yeah, but I want to yeah. mention something that you brought up that I just want to follow up and why this is going to be right. a unique World Cup. Okay. You mentioned South Korea, Japan, and that was a World Cup right. that was away from the epicenter of South America and Europe. And Correct. we saw the last World Cup. I did not truly enjoy the 2018 World Cup because it didn't feel like a World Cup. It felt like a Euros because it was in Russia, yes. all the European yes. teams. It was a great World Cup, but I want a World Cup. I want the South Americans. I want an African team. Correct. And when yeah. I look at the World Cups that are away from Europe or away from South America, you get that? Yeah. Not only Korea and Japan, where it was the semifinals had South Korea. You had the USA in the quarterfinals. You had Senegal in the quarterfinals. 2010 yes. in South Africa, even though it was a European final, Spain and uh, Uruguay, right? But Uruguay was in there. Remember Uruguay, That's Ghana? Right. Diego Forlan was the leading scorer. Yeah. Uruguay, Ghana in the quarters to first spot in the semis. Um, Incredible. Paraguay, it's when it's away from the these big club, these big nations tend to get a little off focus or something. But there is a spirit for uh, the surprises, and I expect that to be the case here. Now, the Middle East is a little closer to Europe, but it's not Europe. And I, I think your point is valid. And expect some crazy teams. It'll be the same teams at the very, very end. It'll be Brazil, Argentina, yeah. France. But in the quarters, you might have a USA. I'm just saying that just because we're going right. to talk about them. But maybe you have a Senegal, or maybe you have a Serbia. Maybe you have a yeah, Morocco. Yeah, I think they're what – I think they're well – What's interesting, too, is Serbia and Croatia are in the same group, you know, and, and just as I'm talking about France with you, I can go on for days about the former Yugoslavia and, and the football that they've played. And, you know, one of my favorite players is coaching Dragan Stojkovic. Remember him yes. when he played in Marseille and then he went to Japan? He was such a beautiful player to watch. He reminded me of Deitari, the Hungarian player. He, on the on the run, he would make these chipping passes. Surely you are an encyclopedia I mean, he, of players. It's, it's, it's incredible. <laughs> He's he's just like Safik Susic. Remember when he was coaching in Brazil in 2014? Again, I mean, I got goosebumps right now. I was young and I was in France and watching him play for Paris Saint-Germain. And I could say, if you asked any top player that played that watched him, they'd say he's in the top echelon of midfielders, you know, that you see in, of all time. And, and Stojkovic was that type of player as well. So the culture is so deep in those countries. And sometimes we kind of glaze over it like, oh, yeah, Serbia. And then I heard someone today say, yeah, Croatia is not the same as they were. When, be careful. huh? Oh, same coach. That, and that's the, it, that's the Mexico, right. Belgium, Morocco, and Croatia group. Which, yeah, it, exactly. Belgium, Canada. I said Mexico. Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia. Yeah, you're right, Suli. There's, there's a lot of countries I think we're going to overlook, and Croatia feels like one of them. Uh, it's, uh, it's, man, it's a... Uh, it's still got so much of that golden generation. And the fact that they qualified, I think you have to give them respect. They were good enough in the Euros and obviously making a final in 2018. Let's let's talk about the U.S. group and how we project it, okay? Yes. So they're in Group B with England, Iran, and a Euro playoff team, which would be Scotland, Ukraine, and Wales. It's there, There's not a group of death. There's not a group of life either. I mean, they're all eight hardworking groups. Even the, the Qatari group, which is generally supposed to be forgiving, is Qatar, Ecuador, Senegal, and the Netherlands. I mean, that's hard. There's no easy yes. results. But I don't see a lot of easy results anywhere. At least maybe I'm saying it now, and then we get closer, and then the cream will rise to the top. But no, even the Brazilian group in G yeah. is very difficult. You know, I mean, I, Switzerland could make it very tough on Serbia and Cameroon. 
you know, and, and uh, so it's not going to be easy to na na navigate. But I do think of all the groups that I've seen that the U.S. is in a, a manageable group, not saying I wouldn't look past. OK, this is the first thing I'd say. Wales, Ukraine and Scotland. If I don't think Scotland's going to come through, but of the three, I think the U.S. would match best against Scotland. Yeah. You know, Scotland hasn't been in this situation for a while. They're playing well. You know, they're coming. They've, they've gotten um, stronger organically within their league. You know, they've built players. They've always had top players play outside as well. Um, Wales, I think, will be the one that will come through. You never know with Ukraine if they're. I think it's going to be. I think it's going to be Wales too. I think it's going to be Wales. Yeah. And I, I do and that would be Wales, the first game for the U.S. They would open up. Let's say it's Wales. I think it's going to be right. Wales, which I think they I match think up a, well against. Correct, and I think it's a fascinating game as well. You know, I think it's a fascinating match for the U.S. I mean, it's it's a great preparation actually for the second match on the twenty fifth, the Friday against England. And England obviously is playing Iran out of the gates, and Iran is you know they they cruise through their group of qualifying. And they produce good players. So it's not going to be, you know, you think of 1998 when they played in, in France in the World Cup and, and was able to, to beat the United States. So it's not going to be an easy group by any means. What I'd like to see, and what I mentioned today that I went on record, is now you have seven, seven plus eight months to prepare. I think they need to change the style, the formation. He's, he's very Dutch, and you got Ernie Stewart as well. Um, I love Greg Berhalter, really nice guy, know him well, was a good player, played under Bruce Arena, played over in Holland. Um, I have a feeling about defenders as, as coaches sometimes and also goalkeepers. Granted, Dino Zolf was a fantastic coach. You know, he's a goalkeeper. Bruce Arena had his pedigree, but I tend to gravitate towards midfielders because they see the game a little bit differently and particularly the modern game and how the game should be played in that balance. So I'd, I'd rather see a midfield that has a... Uh, two, two defensive midfielders uh, central behind one and maybe a 4-2-3-1 or a 3-2-3-2 three, two, three, two, rather than having one point which we two haven't forwards. been able to establish. Yeah, two forwards. I, man, I, I would love to see him at least try that just because yes. the lack of scoring from the forward position. And maybe Correct. the problem is you take away one of those talented wingers. And Yeah, but I, I don't think the wingers are – I mean, it's pretty – it's predictable. Everyone and their grandmother and everyone who's watching in TV is understanding what they're playing. There's no deception. There's not too much clairvoyance or creativity in the play. And we have the players. So, Suli, you are saying that the United States can get a competitive advantage by throwing out a formation that these opponents will not be prepared for. Now, they know USA comes out 4-3-3. It's going to come out from the wide areas. But the U.S. could make an adjustment. They have the personnel to do it. And you think it could work. Yeah, and I think it's necessary for them to play against higher opposition than what they've played in qualifying, right? Where we kind of, Costa Rica is a hard place to play, but we limped over the line at the end and that gave a sour taste for everyone, even though we qualified for the World Cup. The way that you play is very important. The personal, I think it would be better if you play with two wide players, but off three in, three in the defense, two wide players, two behind one. So then you're mixing a player like Tyler Adams that's, or Western McKinney or Kellen Acosta that's cruising around midfield to break up plays, to intervene, to restart plays, uh, to, to be an engine and an energy. But then you need kind of a deep line type player, like a Pirlo-esque characteristic. You know, you can say Jackson Yule does that, and I'm not saying he's going to be in the pool, but that, that um, characteristic, right, where you can change direction, what Claudio Reyna did in 2002, right? He is not covering as much ground, but he's distributing and we lack that a little bit using the width and having two up front occupies the defense in a much different way than one player all alone who's isolated with two wide players. So I think that it works when you say 4-3-3. Holland didn't deviate from that. But Holland's Holland. You know, they play totally different. We don't have a bear camp. You know, we don't have Overmars in our team as well. So I think you have to adapt a little bit where you're giving your team a chance to press and uh, – recuperate the ball, recover the ball higher up the pitch. And I think that they'd be more compact, both through but the fluidity of the play would, would actually, I think would be more compelling for the U.S. if they changed the composition, in my opinion. I, I think it's a great idea. I don't know if they would do it. Uh, although I will say that, you know, Greg Berhalter has adapted during this qualifying and going back to the summer. Because I remember when he came in and he said, yep. I want to do this. He was kind of like the mad scientist. I want to put Tyler Adams in this fullback and this. And I think he's kind of, 
changed it. And maybe he's felt the pressure from some of the players, but he has adapted some things. That's a big one, though. I think it's a nice yeah. thing to have in the back pocket. I, I, it, look, you got to weaponize yourself at the World Cup, right? You've got to find ways to kind of catch these teams off guard. And uh, it's food for thought at the very least. Absolutely. I, I think I'd like to see it and I'm going to push for it. And at least he'll have to think about it because when you go back and you look at all the games, um, it, now you're going to start playing friendlies against as many European uh, opponents that you can, right, to prepare. Most teams in Europe, you cover Champions League, you cover EPL and all the other leagues in City. They play 4-2-3-1 or some kind of derivative of that, which transforms to 4-3-3. And I'm not getting into tactics. I just think if you say, I'd rather have two front runners that are closer in unison. Um, and think about Pulisic, how he scored the goal against Panama. You know, that little... They've um, got to find a better way that, to use him. They've got to find a better correct. way because it's not quite working. It's been good. Look, he had that hat trick, but you, you feel like it's the tip of the iceberg. There's so much more. Maybe not the tip of the iceberg, but the low end of the ceiling. I agree. I agree 100%. So we look at the opponents and, and you know, England, uh, to be fair, um, the last tournament, they were in the semifinals. They played quite well in, in Russia. They did well in the Euros as well, um, getting to the final against Italy. And so Gareth Southgate has done a, a good job. And then you just look at the generation of players. Uh, uh, oh, Sterling the, the midfielders, Sterling Kane, the one playing for Pep Guardiola, Phil, uh, Phil Foden. Phil Foden. I mean, Pep Guardiola is saying, <laughs> oh, he's a starter. He's a phenomenal. I mean, that he guy said he was better than Messi. Up. Not even say that, but he's seen similarities to Messi. But you see him when he plays, he's got his chest out. He's, I mean, so all these players have been trained under continental managers, you know. So the, 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 the English national team manager is selecting the players that are playing under all these, you know, players that are playing at Arsenal and Man City and Tottenham. And they're playing under Antonio Conte and Pep Guardiola and Pochettino. So they're seeing so many different variations of the game than, than teams past, even though you had legends like Hoddle and, and Gascoigne, you know that went abroad and played in Gary Lineker, you can go on. Those guys were gamers. They were fantastic players, not to take anything away from them. But these players have seen it all. They understand the point. game. They understand the rhythms of the game. They understand the phases of the game. And now they're starting to win together. And they have a coach that just seems to have the perfect demeanor, you know, to bring them along in this type of tournament. So it won't be easy. They're not a cocky team at all either. I think the press can get cocky because they no. they're a very um, humble you're, you're, team. And we saw that they're a very humble team. Yeah, they are. I, I agree with you, man. This is not your England team where you come out with Beckham and Rooney and David Seaman. Right. And you know, these guys that come out the Nevilles and you're like, Whoa, they're going to, they're like, screw you. Yeah, I, I agree. That is a, a detail that I haven't really done with England. Now I with regards to the group, but there's no way to, when you look at how favorable this is for the U S I'll tell you why it's a favorable one. Um, they're pot two. They're expected to get to the round of 16. They are the second best team, according to the FIFA rankings. And everyone, look, they, they should beat Iran. They shouldn't lose to Iran. Iran was good, almost made the round of 16 four years ago. Good collective team. Armon at the top, good striker. These, they, and as you said, they, they, they were the best team in Asian qualifying. Better than Korea, better than Japan, better than Saudis, better than Australia. Now, if it's Wales, if it's Scotland or Ukraine, the USA should have an edge there too. Wales, I love Gareth Bale and obviously Aaron Ramsey, but they're a limited team because it's Wales. It's a tiny country and they're in the shadow of England, but it's amazing what they've done. Could they beat the U.S.? Yes. But if you're looking at the construction of a group, England's out of USA's league, but maybe they get a result. England is far and away better. Talent of course, yeah, I across. agree. To everything you yeah. just said, everything about England is compelling. So you finish second, which is a great goal. If you finish second, you are partnered up with Group A, which is the only group that doesn't have a legitimate pot one team. Their pot one team was Qatar, which is not England or Argentina, France, Brazil, Spain. So you're, if you can get into second, you're going to finish, you're going to face whoever finished first in Group A, which could be the Netherlands, right. which is not a top 10 team. It's not a, a, a but it team. is. It's a, it, just let me interject. They one have second. flaws. They're no, still great. They're, of course, they, they have flaws. They're not England, doubt, I should they're, say. They're, they're historically a pot one World Cup squad. Right. Because they, they played in the, you know, they played in the 78 in Argentina in the final. They were in the final in 2010. So like we talked about the other big countries, 
that know how to grow through a tournament, know how to navigate a tournament. Holland is one of those countries. Yeah, definitely. And, and even in re- 2010, 2014, a final and a semifinal. 2018, of course, they Correct. didn't go. So it could be the Netherlands. It could be Senegal who wins that group. It could be Qatar. So I agree. You're and, in and Group you know B. What? You're don't, in good don't shape to make don't the quarterfinals. Don't overlook Ecuador as well. Ecuador right. is going to be they're going to be difficult. That now, what you were talking about before is the intrigue that you love, the fascination with really seeing the different styles and cultures and and playing uh, ways uh, uh, come come out. That's a group that really is you know it's got really esoteric huh? it's really exquisite you know looking at qatar and then ecuador and senegal and in netherlands i think it's going to make for a, just a fascinating group i, I yeah. guess my but point I think whoever it is out of group a whoever it is out of group a yeah. the u.s is going to feel we have a shot when we if right. when we play in the round even if it's netherlands even if it's even if it's netherlands because yeah. netherlands doesn't yeah. have a striker they have they, they have some good young midfielders they always have virgil van dyke they're, they have uh, good young players that we're probably not familiar with. They're going to make a huge impression. And we saw that in the Euros, Dumfries and those guys. But they have some yeah, I, question I, marks. Just, England doesn't just, really. Yeah. Just to your point there for a second, and England has this, and I don't know how much they try to capture it or apply it, but teams that are really high octane, that, that set a cadence or a tempo extremely high where you almost suffocate, you know, you can't cope with, the pace at what they're playing at because they're driving, driving. They're taking the initiative before the whistle to say, we're going to impose like the Golden State Warriors, you know, when they're, when Steve Kerr has them flying, right. They, and they, by the time they're coming in the third quarter, they're scoring 15 points in 50 points at third quarter. Teams don't play like that anymore. You know, when you see even Holland, the shirts heavy, the reputations there, they have <laughs> fascinating players that play in big clubs, but you look and say, wow, they really slow it down. I mean, what, are they waiting till the end of the second half to try to win the game? Or do you see the teams that come out and they've already cut the veins and you see it in their eyes, you know, you see it in their eyes that they're coming after you. That's the team that the U.S. doesn't want to play in the second round. And I think you're right. Out of, out of those four teams, Senegal could be the most dangerous because they're unknown in a sense with their playing style. Yeah. And they always have the deception like all oh, Nigeria. When they played in Senegal is, is the best African team. They won the, the yes. AFCON. They qualified. They got by Egypt. They have the stars. They have the best defender. They arguably have the best attacker. Or you could say Mo Salah, but Sadio Mane is at the moment. And they have Kudu yeah. Bali in and, the back and, and they have players. This is a very yeah, good it, African we, team. We always talk about the axis of the field or the, the axis of the field at the center of the spine, right? And I mean, just say that Koulibaly and then you say Mane. Mane is a... He's not even a Ferrari, he's a Lamborghini. And when he feels <laughs> like playing, look out. You know? So I, I he hate does to, it every week with Liverpool. I, I hate to look ahead, but I, if they if, if it was USA second in Group B and they they beat whoever won in Group A, they would face possibly Argentina in the quarterfinals. So that's that's me looking for some early Christmas yeah. presents, which would be by the way, this this competition ends December 18th. So you know it starts November 21st, ends December 18th. So um plan your holidays accordingly. Uh, let's talk let's talk a little bit about mexico canada you want to look at these guys see what because yes absolutely let's, absolutely. let's start with canada group f argentina by the way argentina unbeaten in the last 31 games right, man. and you know scaloni scaloni is no longer depending so much on Lionel messi so the team's that's starting it. to have its own identity that is you know? it that's what people don't understand you don't need to have messi do everything for you but on the flip side You've got to have a team that can protect yourself because Messi is not going to be a, a, a two-way player. He's not going to be a guy that absolutely. helps you defensively. They, you know, so they have absolutely. Paredes and DePaul, and they have a, a team that can project that. I've been so impressed with Scaloni does. I would not be surprised if Argentina's in there in the end because they've done something with Messi as a collaborative, not Messi save us. It's not I agree, and, and I, I agree, and it breaks my heart in 2006 when I covered the World Cup in Germany. Um, that was one of the most beautiful Argentine teams. Messi was on the bench. Pablito Aymar was on the bench. Everything was going. Peckerman was playing everything through Juan Roman Riquelme, who's a beautiful player. But he was slowing down this, this team that wanted to fly, right? Remember that when they yeah, played it was a uh, weird... Yugoslavia, they put like 30 passes together on that one goal. And, uh, and they slowed everything down. So I think it's important not to slow everything down through Messi. Just let him add his touch. He's yeah. a genius. And, and that's that's how you get the best out of him as well. So, uh, listen, we could talk about this for two days straight. That's how compelling it is. But I know we have our we have our wonderful Canadian listeners here on the soccer OG. Yes. There is a Belgium, Morocco, Croatia. I know people go, oh, that's terrible for Canada. I don't think so. And I know we talked about Croatia 
I think Canada can be competitive in all three of these games. Belgium's another level, but they are on the back end of this golden generation. There's going to be a lot of pressure. That's the first game for Canada, which I think helps to get that big one. And look, Morocco's really good. Canada's probably going to finish in last place here, but I think they're competitive and they could surprise someone because they're going to come in here, I think the same way we saw with the qualifiers, is if to say, we're not afraid of anyone. It's us against the world. And they're gonna they're gonna go there with some obligations. I, I agree hundred percent. And and uh, this Canadian team was for me the most impressive team in Concacaf and World Cup qualifying. When I watched them play, I'm and again I'm not talking about results. I'm talking about the way they played. When they played against the U.S. as well, I said, "Oh, I like the way they break out. Well, I like the way they have that little moxie about themselves when they get up into the third and they're composed, keeping the ball." I like the one-on-one duels, how they take players on. The speed attribute in Canada is, is frightening, you know, and that's a big component when you look in the World Cup. You're playing three games in eight days, right? They're, they're youthful. They blend all the different cultures that you're talking about. Afonso Davies is with Pulisic, the two best players in, in uh, CONCACAF. You can throw in Chucky Lozano and El Tecatito Corona. They're somewhere around there in Raul Jimenez. But uh, Canada can play some football. Morocco, I was so happy to see Robert Magier, and I know you'll remember him, right, when he played in the 86 World Cup, and you just saw the applause that he got because that side of the world, they're familiar with all those, those greats. Uh, you know, they, 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 they love football. I mean, it's religion over there. So Morocco is just a beautiful style team to watch play. Belgium, I was there in, in, in uh, Manaus when USA played Belgium. I think that's the one that Jermaine Jones hit that hit that bomb, right? That, that nice goal. Oh, that, that was a Portugal. Was that the, was the Portugal. Portugal. That was yeah. Portugal. Yeah. It was the one where Lukaku came on. The one late, against Belgium right? was with Tim no. Howard. <laughs> they didn't win yeah. the one Dalowski game. And then that was, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Oh, and I love when the, I know I shouldn't have brought that up. Guy. I feel bad now. It's your fault. No, he's such it's your fault, guy. Sully. But no, I, I, Belgium's come a long way since then. And, Kevin De Bruyne didn't play in Brazil, right? I, I'm not feeling Belgian. He no, he played. No, I know you're not, but I'm just saying, though, as he goes, he's the one. I mean, obviously, you got Mertens, who played in Napoli, right? And you have a few others that are, are super talented as well. Yeah. But if Kevin De Bruyne, it, I mean, that's football today. If you have a Xavi in, in, in Iniesta and David Villa, and I mean, that's the Spanish national team when they were dominating football along with other great players as well. But Belgium, I mean... Well, Kevin De Bruyne is on. He was a big part of Belgium's run in, in like what you called the Euro in 2018 in that last World Cup in Russia. And it did seem very much like a Euro. But I don't think Belgium's going to be quite as strong as the last version we saw, you know, where they made that deep run. Yeah, so well, I think it is manageable for Canada and it's a good opponent to play right away because then you know what you need to do in the next two matches. That's interesting, man. And I really like Morocco. They, I mean, they have yeah. the legitimate stars at positions. Uh, these European guys, I, w- I thought they were going to win AFCON. They fell short. They lost to Egypt, but they are super talented. It's a, uh, it's hard to bet against Belgium there. You know, and I, I think Morocco has the look of a team that gets through in group F. So I'd say Belgium, Morocco, and maybe Canada gets a couple points and I don't want to pick on Croatia, but Croatia also, you know, it's going to, yeah, they're going to have to the, really the, work. The one question with Croatia is does, um, uh, Zlatko Dajic, the, the coach, does he do what Marcelo Lippi did and the guys he was in the trenches with in the World Cup prior? Does he bring them all back to the next dance because they got so far, right? And if he doesn't fresh it up and add three or four or five young starlets, because they produce them, they're like flowers there, you know, in Croatia and Serbia and Montenegro and all those countries, they're producing players, you know, every month. Um, so I think it's important if you have to actually be disciplined and say, we want to bring in a new young Modric to come in and play alongside that him. Easier so said. you have a veteran and you have a younger player. Yeah. I know it's easier said than done. And a lot of times that was Lippi's downfall. He brought all the same players back to that's a, 2000 oh, can't do South that. Africa. And what if no, Croatia does that? And that's a fear. And, I, and people don't learn their lesson. And we saw it by all these countries that have kind of, Italy is a perfect example. They bring in this, these, the old guard and it, it decimates them from 06 to 2010. I saw that firsthand and you saw how ineffective it is, but it happens a lot. Um, Mexico. But Canada, I think, yeah, go, go, let's go to Mexico. Okay. So Mexico Mexico in group C, Argentina, Saudi Arabia, and Poland. 
decent for Mexico. Obviously, you have Argentina, a, a team they've played. We talk about 2006. This is a team they played a couple times uh, unsuccessfully. And you're really your goal for Mexico is to finish second. Now, people are going to, you know, they're, they're in love with Robert Lewandowski. And for obvious reasons, he is maybe the best number nine in this competition. Saudi Arabia, we just don't know enough about. They're going to, they did well in qualifying. You can't underestimate them. And who can ever forget the USA World Cup where they beat Belgium and made the round yeah, of 16? Yeah, that was amazing. I mean, amazing. it's one of my Remember favorite. 80-yard dribble? Yeah, that dribble. Yeah. Uh, oh, I ran. Oh, I ran. Yes. Forgive me. Yeah, exactly. I can't believe I know this yeah. crap. I mean, <laughs> hey, but you know, there's two. They when they introduced Bora today, he said one of one of two coaches that coached five World Cups. You know, Bora Militinovich, right? And did you see? Do you know who the other coach is? Wait a and minute. he coached Saudi Arabia. Is it? It's not. It's not Kiros. No, he's because he's coaching. He's, he's close. Close. Portuguese. And he coached New York Red Bulls, and he coached Brazil. I played against him. <sighs> Carlos Alberto Ca Pereira. Carlos Alberto Pereira. Of course, yeah. I should have. And known. I was trying to think, what World Cup did he take Saudi? And he took them in '98 after their great run in '94. Ah. you know that you were saying. Yes, but you know Qatar plays a little like Saudi too, as well. In fact, Qatar has naturalized a lot of those players from the yeah. region. You yeah, know, and some kind of like remember when we were watching Russian teams and Ukrainian teams? All of a sudden, you see a Brazilian player with one name playing with Ukraine or Russia. <laughs> Wagner Love. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. So I, I I like Mexico's chances too. I didn't coming in and but Poland is the team that they fi figure is going to threaten Mexico. I would remind people that Poland is was really bad at the World Cup four years ago. They finished last in a group that they could have won. They finished last. It was Colombia, Senegal, and amazing. Japan. They were so impressive in the Euros in 2016. Yeah, and right? yeah, they were. But in the last Euros, also finished bottom in the group. So this is a team right. in with me with limitations. Mexico's hasn't come close to hitting a ceiling, and I have to imagine between now and November that they will find one of those three dudes to score some goals. Whether it's Jimenez, whether it's Chucky, whether it's Tecatito. They haven't got I mean, any goals. You never of. know if, if Carlos Vela will come back. Uh, Chicharito, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, you know that he wants to. He posted a picture today, you know, talking about his his loyalty, the galaxy. He wanted yeah. all the fans to shower him with, like, hey, we need you and so forth. And uh, Tata Martino has his way. Um, I thought that Juan Carlos Osorio, the game that they played and beat Germany in the yeah. first game was a master class. Well, Vela, um, Vela was the best player on that field. Amazing, Vela and without a doubt. Vela was Without incredible, but I just don't think he's coming yeah. back. And, and I think you feel bad about coming back at this point. Yeah, he's, he's not. You you would know better than anyone. But for Mexico, they're far off their optimal form. And I do believe that Mexico, anyone who's covered them like you have, uh, you know, for years, they always punch above their weight when they play Brazil or Argentina. If they play, Sometimes they play down a little bit if they're playing a lesser opponent, like uh, say for, you know, not to they're playing a, a smaller opponent they'll kind of play down their level. But if they're playing someone like Brazil or they're playing Argentina or they're playing Italy, you know, they, they rise to the occasion. So I do think that Mexico is going to be there, they're, especially with their fans. By the time they get to Qatar, question is, will we have Tata Martino that led Paraguay in 2010, yeah. remember? Uh, you know, or in a version kind of like Vasco Aguirre, who, what, what a job he did in 2010 with Mexico. Remember, he had Bofo Bautista and Cuauhtémoc. He brought him back. Bofo was in that team. I forgot. I, I couldn't believe that he was starting. They were bringing Cuauhtémoc off the bench at times. But Mexico has the talent. They have not played well. They have not played well. But I do think that when it comes time, they'll get there because they, they just sense the occasion. You know, they always do. Surprise teams. I'm not going to pick a winner because we don't know. But I, some teams. Uruguay. That, Uruguay. Uruguay is your surprise yep. team. They're in with Portugal, well, Ghana, and I Korea. Think one of them. You know the goal scorer that plays in Benfica, the one uh, Dario Nunez. He's got like 26 yes. goals and 33 appearances. They say Manchester United wants to buy him, 71 million euros. And so you know you had Cavani, you had Suarez, producing good players again, and. Um, Diego Alonso is the coach now, right? Yeah. Tabares. And, was, well, you know, you know what? That few... was a perfect example of a coach because Washington Tabares was so long. Bringing yeah. a new coach, right. and I think it takes pressure off the players because they're used to something. Yes. That's why I think France and these other places need, you know, need to find yeah. a new coach to freshen it up. Helps, yeah, it helps freshen it up. And I think we saw that in Uruguay. And the, I mean, they were incredible down the stretch to qualify for the World Cup. But uh, they have some good ones. Uh, Arascaeta, who plays down at Flamengo last. 
Yes. Um, yeah. You know, you know the Valverde, Betancourt, these guys that play at top clubs. They're in the Betancourt, yeah. They're no, really great good. players. And, and they, they're, they're also very patriotic and competitive when it comes to the tournament. And I would say that um, Uruguay is like the South, South American version of Croatia, what we saw in the last World Cup. You know, very similar to how patriotic when they play and the whistle blows, regardless of form or scores or how they got there. It's an opponent that if you have on the calendar, you got to be careful because you're going to be in for a match. They're dying on the field for their country when they play. It, it, they, they give everything. And, and uh, more than any of these other countries that I've seen, Uruguay is like that. Spain under Luis Enrique. Pedri is, uh, you know, I'm fascinated with him. I like the way they're playing. You, you, you would look at when you and I covered Barcelona and that great generation under Pep, um, that's when you know, right around that time, 2009, they had already won the 2008 Euros, right? And then they won the 10, 2010 World Cup in 2012. A lot of that was because the players were playing in the two most important teams in the world. And now you're starting to see Barca under Xavi. That might trickle over to Luis Enrique with the national team. You know, you would hope, right? I, uh, I, I like the Uruguay one. That's a tough group. I want to say Senegal and, and Morocco, two teams we've talked about. I hope this is a good World yeah. Cup for Africa. And I mean by getting to a semifinal, which I don't think that's happened. You know, we saw Cameroon coming close in 1990. We saw Senegal come close yeah. in uh, 2002. So I just want to, I, I want to see it. And it, it, it's, you know, Cameroon, Cameroon had the, you know, I was there in Italy and I remember the surprise goal when they surprised, they shocked. Amazing uh, to Argentina. think Argentina lost the opener, right? And then, Argentina, and, and then came back, then went undefeated and got, to the, and got to the final. Right. It's incredible. That was a great achievement uh, Nigeria, for Maradona and Nigeria those guys. In 94, yeah, my Nigeria in 94 was amazing. And, you know, I always tell my kids that I coach the youth. Um, I go back to that 94 because next door neighbor who played with me in Denmark, was Ucha Okecheku, uh, and he played in Fenerbahce. He was, he's as big as any NFL player. You know, you pick a player, he's big. He was as fast as me, if not faster. And, I mean, this guy's 230 pounds or so, just like a specimen. Beautiful player. And he turned his back. They're playing Argentina. He turned his back one second. I showed him how he turned his back. Big number five on the back. And Caniggia goes, Diego, 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 Diego. And Maradona puts his hand on the ball. His, just his eyebrow went up. Plays to Canizia and he put it in the up, uh, yeah. the top corner. A, so little a goal, like, a goal that doesn't get enough credit when they show the great goals of World Cup history. That one they exactly. don't. Exactly. That was majestic and a huge moment it between was. the two biggest rivals. And, and so one of the things I want to see when you know I'm thinking about Bora in '94 that he just implemented things and you know I do when I coach as well that any um, free not free kick any whistle where the ball is down. You, you have three players around the ball. You're ready to move because now you see teams, they turn around, they get set in their positions, move the ball right away. If you can, that's where you catch. That's the edge you're looking for. And that's what I was talking about with the four, three, three. It's so methodical. It's so robotic when they go back, you know, I was, uh, you know, when they go back, it's like watching Manchester United, they play into center backs that move like battleships. Right. And you say, why am I watching? I just, that's five minutes where they're playing back and not playing forward. When you actually have players that have the capability to take players on, to combine, to have exchanges into the area. So I want to see that type of edge because that's what football is about. And when we watch the South American teams like Peru in the last World Cup, they give you that. When you watch Senegal, they give you that. They still give you that little sugar that makes the game so special. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's not so boring, you know, where it's, it's a set and they go, they're running back and it's a throw in and it's a free kick and everyone backs up. No, football's, you know, let's get back to the essence of football yeah. where you're looking for that advantage, you know? I think we're going to see a lot of that. I also want to say Denmark's a team that I think could win Group D and do very, I get agree. very, very far. Sully, I agree. That was an amazing conversation. Italy's not in the World Cup. So before we part ways, a little tribute to one of the great Italians, Alessandro Del Piero. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, of course. I'll try to start. We, I'll start. Yeah, low. go ahead. I'll start low. <laughs> <laughs> Alessandro del Piero Le Alessandro del Piero Le Alessandro del Piero Alessandro del Piero Alessandro del Piero You know you sing it like Carlos Cariac How do you say it again? Carlos Cariac 
Yeah, <laughs> like you really get into, shack. <laughs> you, you get into uh, you get into character. We have to next time I'm down in L.A., I'm doing a tournament next month. Let's get together and let's go to his restaurant. Let's do in it. L.A. You're, hey, let's you have the him. contact. I'm, I've seen photos of the food at that restaurant. It looks unbelievable. So I'm ready. Let's go. I'll, I'll tell Dieci. you to set it up. <laughs> yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Christopher Sullivan. Enjoy your World Cup conversations. It doesn't get any better. Uh, they are just so satisfying. And may you have a thousand between now till the World Cup wraps up December the 18th. Christopher Sullivan working for B in Sports. Catch him on, on what's your uh, what's your social media handles? Uh, Christopher Sully 10 at uh, Christopher Sully 10. I, I, my Instagram is Christopher Sully 10. And Twitter, I think, is Sullivan Football. Yes. F-U-T-B-O-L. An excellent follow. Uh, no stoppage time this week. We'll be back with more great guests. And okay, everything's going to have a World Cup flair. This is the good stuff. Enjoy it. Placido Domingo. Domingo.